Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. We'll be looking this morning at verses 15 through 23. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 23. We're making our way through the Gospel of John this year, and uh, we find ourselves in the uh, final discourse of Jesus, his last words, before the cross. We begin today in John 14, right in the middle of this chapter, and we hear Jesus say these words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, Father, we uh, thank you. We bless you for this word from your Son. For he tells us here things that we could not know on our own. He gives us truths by which we can live, and we pray, Father, that you would grant to us the ability to see what he is saying, to hear his word, and, Lord God, to apply it to our lives this day. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it is now official. Friendship is losing its place in American life. Uh, Though we've come through a a once-in-the-lifetime pandemic and we have a greater sense as people of our need for community, of our need for connection, of our need for friendships, the reality is the signs are everywhere that the role of friends in American life is experiencing a pronounced failure. A May 2021 survey found that Americans report having fewer close friends than they once did talking to their friends less often and relying less on their friends for personal support. And all you can say quickly is, that can't be good. That can't be good. We're already incredibly isolated and we're already increasingly lonely. That can't be good. But let's be honest, let's face it, people are messy. The person sitting behind you is messy. Don't turn around and look. 
The person sitting on both sides of you is messy. People are messy. And the reality is that friends are messier because they're so close. Friendship always kind of brings a kind of risk and doesn't always seem to be worth the time, attention, or energy because of that risk. Friends bring, when they have a mess, they bring that mess into our lives and we find that as a rule of friendship, we have to share their mess with them. And many of us find that so terribly, terribly inconvenient. We do until, of course, and unless our own lives go sideways. And suddenly you need the help of friends to deal with the mess you're in. J.K. Ryle was an evangelical English bishop in the 19th century, and he made one of the best cases for friendship that I've ever come across. He says, and I quote, this world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Now listen, he says, friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. And from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, it's plain that you and I were made to be with others. We were made to live in the presence of God. We were made to live in fellowship with God. And it's very plain as well that we are made to live in the, in the presence and in fellowship with other people who are just like us. And one of the greatest possessions then that you and I have, even after the fall, are our messy and imperfect friends and friendships. Now, you may be wondering, what does that have to do with John 14? Uh, more than you think, let me show you how this morning. You'll notice with me that Jesus has announced his impending departure. You look at John chapter 13, verse 33, as we have, he said to them, where I'm going, you cannot come. The disciples, John 14, 1, are deeply troubled by this. It's not just because they had given so much up to follow Jesus, but what makes this so hard and so troubling for them is, that, uh, is what they've gained by finding and being with Jesus. Jesus' presence, his companionship had ended their sense of alienation and separation from God and each other. In a very real way, Jesus made himself the friend they'd always wanted but never could find because he simply ticked all the friendship boxes. He was a friend who never failed. In fact, in John 15, 15, if you look ahead, he says, I have, past tense, called you friends. In other words, I have treated you as friends. I, I have related to you as friends. And so part of the trouble they're feeling is that they have found a friend in Jesus. But there's more. Being with him also gives them purpose, as we've seen. In him, they find the point of life. His ministry for these three years is one that he shared with them as he preached and as he put on display the good news that in him, God's king had come and God had begun to make a broken world right again. And so they want nothing to do with this losing him. They want nothing to do with this news of losing him. They don't want to hear this, but Jesus assures them that they won't lose him. 
He says he's going to his father's house. One day he's going to return for them and to, he will take them to be with him where he is. In fact, he, he goes on and he makes this promise. He says that, listen, because I'm going, because I'm leaving you, you're going to keep doing what I've been doing and you will do them even to a greater extent than I've done them. In 14, 12, he says, you're going to do even greater things. And all of this is overwhelming to them. One day they're going to see, one day they're going to, to understand that as Jesus prepares to leave them, what he's actually doing is he's promising these ordinary people an extraordinary life. And that's why as a church, our vision is to see ordinary people and families find extraordinary life in Jesus together. And the reason that is our vision is because that is exactly what Jesus pledges and promises. We know that we are made and meant and sent to be bright lights in dark places in this world for him sharing and displaying the truth of his gospel. But the question becomes, how does this happen? It's one thing to live an extraordinary life when you've got the physical presence of Jesus right there. How does it happen when he's gone? Jesus goes on to explain, and you see it in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, and then in 15 through 23, our passage, that extraordinary lives are possible because of two things, because of his power unleashed through prayer and because of his presence come through the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit comes into the lives of believers with an eternal extension of the friendship that Jesus began. And Jesus explains this for them and for us in John 14, 15 to 23. So we looked at the, prom the promise of powerful prayer last week. Today we want to begin to learn from Jesus about this Holy Spirit, namely these things we want to learn. What the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and how the blessing of the Holy Spirit is actually experienced. In other words, Jesus leads us in our passage to begin to see the person of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, and the experience of the Spirit. And I want us to look at that carefully today together. First of all, the person of the Holy Spirit. When you read the, the passage closely, this passage beginning in verse 15, you notice that Jesus gives a series of pointers to what he's going to ask the Father to give his people when he leaves. And he says, I'm going to be, look verse 16, I'm going to be asking for the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that spirit? The first pointer we find in verse 17 where Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as him. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the, Lord, the, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice the pronouns. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a person, not a force or an energy. I never cease to be amazed at the number of followers of Jesus who refer to the Spirit of God as an it or as a power. And um, that is, um, it's, it's got to be it, to be quite frank, so very, very offensive to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not an it. And he is far more than just power. Jesus gives us a second pointer for understanding what the Holy Spirit is in verse 16, where he calls him another helper. 
The word for another can have one of two meanings. It can mean another of the same kind or quality or another of a different kind of quality. But here, it, the first meaning is present. The Holy Spirit is another exactly like, not different from, the prior helper, the first helper. And that first helper, of course, is Jesus. Now, if you put it together, you can put it together this way. Jesus claimed to be God in John 8, and so Jesus is also saying here that the Holy Spirit is not merely a person, but is an equally divine person with him and with the Father. So he is a person who is God. A final pointer that Jesus gives to us in terms of what the Holy Spirit is is found in verse 18. He insists I will not leave you as orphans. This is, of course, the, the disciples' great fear. This is what, what has them from 14.1, so in a tizzy. And in answer to that, Jesus gives one of his greatest promises. Though he has said to them, I am leaving. And this is one of the most confusing portions of scripture. He says, I'm leaving. And then he says here in verse 18, he says, and I will come to you. And then in verse 23, he says, we will come to you. And then he says, we will make our home with you, but I'm leaving you, but I will come to you, but I'm leaving you, but I'll make my home with you. And you're going, When the Holy Spirit comes, I will be coming to you and my Father will be coming as well. And you can't help but, but say, wait, what? Wait, what? And uh, here in this passage and in this section, we come right up against the wonderful and mysterious doctrine of the Trinity. And the teaching of the Trinity is basically this. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three gods, they are together one God, and they are so together, they are so one, that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter into a relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. No one comes to the Father except through me, the Son. That's right. If you get one, you get all. Yet at the same time, Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons whom the New Testament presents as knowing each other, loving each other, and working together. This means that God is not one person who has three roles. He plays at different times as necessary. No, the teaching of the Trinity is that there is one God in three persons carrying out one plan to redeem a people and restore broken creation. And while all of this can be confusing, it is at the very heart of, of Christianity. And the more you understand it, the greater the blessing there is. And this, this is worth a lot of other time we don't have today. But one of the great joys I found in my walk with Jesus, and I've walked with him since I was five, so you do the math. It's been a while. But one, one of the great delights that I've come to have in my relationship with God has been to, to learn more and more of the roles of the Father in my life and the role of the Son in my life and the role of the Spirit in my life 
and uh, knowing that the three are one, but knowing each of them has a very specific role and relating to each of them in that specific role has made my walk with him so much deeper, so much deeper and uh, richer. And so it becomes really important to understand particularly the work of the Holy Spirit, because my guess is for most believers in this room, you have a pretty good sense of the Father as your provider. And because uh, you, you have, the most, vast majority of you have had uh, a father or have had, uh, watched a father in someone else's life, you know the kind of the role of a father and what it should be. You, you know, just like every other human on the planet, what the role of a father shouldn't be because your dad never got it right. My dad never got it right. I never got it right. Uh, we, we, none of us quite get it right, but we got a sense of that. All of us have a pretty good sense of, the, of, 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 of Christ. I mean, you can't come to Christ without glorying in his cross and in his resurrection. And you have a sense of him as Savior and Redeemer and Lord. But so, for so many of us, the Holy Spirit is an acquaintance, not someone we really know very well. Not someone we can, we can explain very well. And yet Jesus says, listen, I'm, I'm leaving you and I'm going to give you a power that comes through prayer. And I'm going to give you a presence that comes by my Holy Spirit. And so this becomes very, very important for us to know and understand this person, this divine person who is one of the members of the Trinity. So when you receive the uh, Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, you become his, you receive from the Father the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you're not receiving some force or power that comes inside you and then that comes from you. You're receiving a person, a divine person. And when that person comes into a life, he comes as God. And when he comes into a life, he brings the triune God into that life with him. And what this means is far more significant than many of us realize. Why? Well, because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does this divine person, this Holy Spirit actually do? The Bible gives us a variety of insights into his work. For example, it tells us that when the Spirit comes, he not only binds us to Christ or unites us to Christ, but he binds and unites us to each other. There is fellowship that we have in the body of Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. He binds us to the Father and to each other in the community of a family in an eternal bond. What is more, Jesus tells us here and the Bible affirms elsewhere that the work that the Holy Spirit does is forever. He will be with you forever. Though we believe in Jesus Christ, the truth is we will die unless he comes again. But though we die, yet we will live and we will live by the Spirit, verse 19. And this life that he gives never ends. Death doesn't have the final word because we have the Holy Spirit forever. Binding us to Christ, binding us to the Father, binding us to himself, binding us to each other. The scriptures also tell us that it's the Holy Spirit who brings the love and the transformed life of God into our lives. He is the one who affects the difference. 
But most important for us, and, and what Jesus emphasizes here is this, that the Holy Spirit, verse 17, is both the spirit of truth and, verse 16, the ultimate helper. Let's look briefly at both of these. In verse 17, Jesus calls the spirit the spirit of truth. He promises that the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you of all the things I have told you. Now, we remember as we read this that Jesus is talking to his first disciples, the apostles, and they, of course, have heard Jesus teach for three years. And here, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to work to enable them to remember what he has said so that when they write it down, it will be just what he said and will be the truth. This is the Holy Spirit's work of inspiration. But he also has a work of illumination. When later believers read the Bible or hear the Bible preached uh, and read and preached uh, with the Holy Spirit's help, they don't just find that the truth begins to make sense in their minds, but they discover that God becomes more and more real in their hearts. The Holy Spirit works to make God's truth make sense, and then the Holy Spirit makes the truth of God real for us. And every believer, every true follower of Jesus knows what it is to experience God showing up in the reading of his word. God showing up in the study of his word. God showing up in, in devotional times where you walk in, you, you sit down, you open the book, you're in the word, and suddenly the word of God becomes alive. It speaks to you. It grabs you. It captures your attention. And you find yourself convicted. Sometimes you find yourself comforted. Sometimes you find yourself challenged. But always when you meet God in his word, you find yourself changed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit who wrote the word of God has taken the work as well of taking his word and applying it to our hearts. This is a living book because the Spirit of God applies it to the lives of God's people. He is the Spirit of truth. But I want you to see the other picture here in particular. Jesus, look at verse 16. He speaks of the role of the Holy Spirit as that of another helper. Now, if you were to get a lot of Bible translations out and, and line them all up and look at John 14, 16, you would find a, uh, here's a great word for you, plethora. Don't you love that? You would find a plethora, that means a bunch. You would find a lot of different words used to translate the, what, what the original has there uh, and, and that the ESV, the version we use, uh, labels as helper. The original Greek word is parakletos, which is a combination of the word para, which conveys the image of one who is always with you, always for you, always uh, 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 near you, and kaleo, which means to call out. It means to argue or declare or to make a case for. And so the picture here is of one who is always with you, who is always for you, and he is always with you and for you, especially by arguing or declaring the truth. And he either argues and declares the truth about you, or he argues and declares the truth to you. 
So this paraclete is one who comes alongside you. This is the one the Father will give, Jesus says, to be with you forever. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the divine one who, there, and then we can say, stays close to you and argues the case to be made for you while also being ready to argue any case to be made against you. For example, it is the Holy Spirit who argues the case for you when, when the facts that, the, with, with the facts that you are truly loved and truly accepted and truly God's child in Christ. When those things are challenged, the Spirit comes and he argues the case for you. Yet the Satan will come, the world will come, others will come and say, you don't belong to him, you failed, uh, you, you, you are a false believer. All of those things that can often come when we fall into sin or, or when maybe life doesn't work like we thought it would and God doesn't act the way we, we might have thought he would have acted and suddenly we're questioning our salvation. It is the Spirit of God that says, no, 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 no. Don't let anybody tell you you're not loved. You're loved. He's going to argue the case. He's going to say, don't let anyone tell you you're not accepted. You're accepted. In fact, God likes you. In Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, he argues the case. At the same time, here's, here's the other side of it. At the same time, he, while he argues for us, he also argues against us. How many of you know immediately what I mean by that? Uh -huh. Okay, well, let me enlighten everybody else. He's the spirit who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. All right. So what I have done in the past is, but since we have guests here today because of the baptisms, I won't do that. But normally I'll say all sinners, will you please raise your hands? And then we have a lot of fun with that. About three minutes it takes before almost everybody raises their hands. Still, we've got some who just can't, can't do it. And, and we love them. Um, we just can't do it. But we're not going to do that today because we've got some guests here today. We don't want to embarrass them. We do know the secret, but I'll raise my hand. So of all the preachers who are here today who are sinners, raise your hand. So here I am. Um, here I am. God help me. When I sin or when any believer sins, Almost immediately, what's our natural reaction? What's our natural response? What do we try to do? We try to cover it up. We blame. We pass responsibility. We try to make little of it. Am I right? Or is this just preachers do this? This is just, it's everybody else or some of you. Some of you still don't. I know, I know. It's, it's okay. That's what we do. And the Spirit of God as our paraclete, the one who comes alongside and argues the case for us when our, when our salvation is, is challenged or denied, he comes alongside and then he also argues the case against us and says, nope, you need to own that. You need to own that. It's called conviction. Now, I'll, I'll ask this. Just, this is just anybody's willing. How many of you say, I know what it is to feel conviction? But that was so much easier than asking if you're a sinner. That was, I might have to change my approach. I was just, it was so much easier. I know, I know, I know, okay. Um, I know what it is to feel conviction. 
And a lot of times we wrestle with that. And, and this is where we grieve the spirit of God is when he comes and speaks to us and he says to us, this is not right. Go make the case. You have violated God's will for your life here. We try to resist him. And the more we resist him, the more we grieve him. And it's right here that that word grieve is so powerful because I think sometimes we, we miss the fact he's a person with feelings. And he loves us so much that the presence of sin in our lives is experienced by the Spirit of God, this Holy Spirit of God, as grief. And he looks at you or he looks at me, dwells in me, dwells in you if you're a believer. And he says, but I have so much more for you than this. This is not what the son died for. This is not what he died to give. So to capture this, the ESV uses, I think, a great term here and calls him our helper. But as I say, other, ver other versions will call him counselor or comforter or intercessor or advocate or strengthener. The word is so rich that, that, it, that no one English word can, can carry it all. But he, I don't know, I like ally. And then I go from ally to advocate. And then I go from ally and advocate, I go to friend. And I just keep hearing Jesus say, I've called you friends in John 15. 15. And when I think about the kind of friend that I would want, or the kind of friends I would want, I, I, and what I need, you know, what I want and what I need aren't always the same, but I want a friend who will stay with me, never leave me, never forsake me, and tell me the truth, even when I don't want to hear it. Who will love me enough to tell me the truth Gently, of course, even when I don't want to hear it. And that is the Holy Spirit. He, he is our ultimate and true friend, another ultimate and true friend like Jesus and that means that he simply will not leave us alone and he will not let us stay the way we are. This is why if you're a genuine follower of Christ, you can't stay in sin. The Holy Spirit will not let you be. If you claim the name of Christ and you can live in sin and stay in sin month after month and year after year and never, never, never feel the compunction to change, I'm telling you, you lack the Spirit of God, which means you lack faith in Christ. You may know him here, but you have not come to have a personal knowledge of him and haven't received this gift of the Spirit. You are in a dangerous, dangerous place. Because this friend, this ultimate friend, simply will not leave you alone. And he simply will not let you or me, if we're believers, stay the way we are. He has better. He has more 
for us. He stays with us. He keeps bringing change to us. He is, in short, faithful. Well, somebody said to me not too long ago, they said, you know, Pastor, you don't ever talk much about yourself in the pulpit. And I said, well, no, because my job is to really talk about Jesus. Because anything about me is really, is just not a deal. And, uh, but anything about him is the deal. Um, so I don't very often. My father-in-law passed away last night. Uh, fairly late, and uh, I got to be with with my wife there. And um, just before he passed, uh, we had uh, a real gift. He had been in ministry for many, many years. But more importantly than that, he was a follower of Jesus. As she was telling him goodbye, as you might imagine, uh, and he was, had been in deep, deep pain and was uh, not able to speak much or move, but could communicate a little bit. She leaned over him to embrace him one final time. And uh, he uh, did his very best to raise his arms to take her. Didn't quite make it, but he tried. And uh, at one point, he raised both arms up and looked and a smile came over his face. And I was reminded of this great and precious promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Fear not, I'm with you. And I was reminded, and I could not help but be reminded of the powerful work of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. He comes in as we come to faith in Christ. He walks us through every step of our journey. He's there in our first job. He's there. In our first love relationship, he's there. When we're married, he's there. When we're not married, he's there. When we're told that we need this treatment or that treatment, he's there. When we're told the job is no longer ours, he's there. When the pain is, is great and the disappointment is greater, And it is the Holy Spirit who is the one by whom 
the Lord keeps his promise where he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he is there in that final, in those final moments to say to those who are his children, you're mine. And I've been sent to represent the one who said, I have gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. So that where I am, there you might be also. Jesus says, I I want you to know this because here in the final analysis, this is how you're going to live an extraordinary life in this ordinary broken world. Where we literally start with a cry and end with a sigh. Through it all, he says, I have for you peace and I have for you joy. A peace that passes understanding and a joy that knows no limit. How? That makes no sense. I don't know that I can fully explain it to you. I just know that it is. And I know that he's faithful. And that in your dying moments, he can give you the capacity to see him, to know him, to raise your arms to him and smile. And know that in Christ Jesus, you are loved, you're accepted. safe at the end of the day I really don't want any more from God than that and that is why we say that Jesus is more than enough Can you say that today? Do you know him? Not about him. Do you know him? How true. How good. How wise, how faithful the Father, to give us His Son, to give us His Spirit, to give us Himself. How thankful we are for Him. 
To all who receive him, to them God gives the right to become children of God. Are you his? By God's grace, you can be with faith and full surrender of your life to him here and now. Because one day, you're going to be in your final moments. I'm telling you, what you're going to need is family for sure, but at the end, you're going to need the ultimate friend. Let's stand together all across the room. Now, Lord God, for the gift of new life in Christ, for the offer of eternal life in Jesus, we give you thanks, we give you praise today. Lord, I know that you're speaking to hearts right here, right now, that there are those who are grappling with issues of their own eternal destiny. I pray, Father God, that you would work there in such a way as to break down every objection, every fear, and that you would replace these with faith in Jesus. That there would be a turning away from sin and self and a turning to the Christ of the cross and with full surrender and abandon, that there would be a giving of self to Christ. May that be so. For Christ's sake. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart right now, He may be saying one of two things. He may be saying to you first, speaking to you as a child of his, he may be saying to you, come back to me. He may be saying to you, deal with this sin or that. He may be saying to you, stop denying, stop playing games. Let go of all of your life afresh to me. Own this issue. Own this sin. Turn from it. I want to encourage you in the quiet of this moment to take that very step. You gave him your life back in the day, but he's not had you. And you know that. Today is the day You need to make that right. You need to make that right. The Spirit of God may be speaking to a second group and saying, God in Christ loves you. Is taking the steps that need to be taken on the cross to remove your sin and to end the separation. He invites you by faith to come and give all of you for all of Christ, giving him your life and saying, I trust you. 
He invites you to come. I'm going to invite a couple of our pastors to come, and as we sing, we're going to give you love. I want to invite you to just slip out and come. I, you know what? I'm just going to ask the praise team to, to, to sing. I'm going to ask you just to pray, to stay in a spirit of prayer. And if God's spirit is speaking to your heart, I want to challenge you to simply step out from where you are and come, and we would be glad to pray with you, to help you. The altar is open if you simply just want to come and pray, but I invite you to come. We've got time. You can come. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.